Thank you for listening to the Ballistic Football Podcast, where real amateurs talk real football. I'm Matt, your host and producer, until we find a better one. Different type of show tonight. I'm actually uh, on my own, running solo this evening. Uh, The guys are busy this week, but I felt like there was a lot of stuff that had gone on, particularly with the U.S. men's national team that uh, warranted, you know, just a brief episode to talk through some of that. And some of my perspective, they may challenge when they, they come back on the show. But I thought it'd be good to to talk through some of that, get a new episode posted. So it's going to be a little bit different, but I think it'll be fun and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, just a reminder, we are on Twitter. Uh, you can find us there at Ballistic Footy. We're also on Facebook and a couple new avenues uh, that we've opened up so that our... Uh, six listeners can uh, can get in touch with us, five of which are, are people that are co-hosts on this show. Uh, but a couple new ways you can get in touch with us. Uh, we now have a, a number that you can either uh, text or leave us a voicemail. Uh, we'd be happy to, to hear your feedback, your thoughts, maybe even play some of it on the air, depending on uh, how, how PG it is. Uh, you can now call or text us at 317-762-6144. You can also shoot us an email at ballisticfootball at gmail.com. We'd love to have your messages and, uh, and walk through those and discuss the topics that you, you guys want to hear, things that that maybe you thought we missed, maybe you think we're completely wrong about. I think the more kind of uh, controversy there is <laughs> related to that, uh, the more fun we, we get to have. So please... Uh, Please take advantage of those channels. We're looking forward to, to hearing from from all of you. Right off the bat, uh, one of the, the things that uh, I think is important is to admit mistakes when we make them. And one of our uh, five listeners, which may or may not have been myself, uh, noticed on our last episode that uh, we falsely claimed that the uh, match against El Salvador was going to be in Nashville. Obviously, that did not take place in Nashville. Uh, I was sipping on a little bit of bourbon that night, so that may have played a factor in it. But uh, yeah, it's, they they did not play that match, obviously, in, in Nashville, Tennessee. So starting off, I think, obviously, you know, the big thing we're looking at right now is the three games that the United States just wrapped up with World Cup qualifying. And uh, again, those were, first one was in El Salvador. Uh, the second one was at home against Canada, and then they just wrapped up their uh, last match of this kind of th- three-game session uh, last night in Honduras. And, you know, I, I would say as a U.S. men's national team fan, I uh, <laughs> mixed emotions, uh, definitely. I think the performance against El Salvador was pretty underwhelming, but I think at the the point we watched that match, you you know, we knew that guys were trying to gel together. They were playing away. Uh, if you saw the game, El Salvador was pretty crazy. I mean, fireworks going off outside the stadium, jeering, whistling, booing during the United States national anthem. And to be honest, quite a, a few guys that were not really that well exposed, I think, to that level of CONCACAF soccer. So... You know, to come out with a 0-0 draw was pretty disappointing, but at the end of the day, you know, they were able to get a point out of it. Um, I think a lot of folks saw that as 
just an initial stepping stone, kind of get that initial exposure and then be able to move forward. Then they went in, and and to be fair, I think they looked fairly flat, kind of confused and and baffled at times on the field. Uh, It was a lot of uh, playing over the midfield, I felt like, uh, most of the time. El Salvador had a lot of uh, pretty good chances. So I know that there there were a lot of folks that left that match pretty disappointed, um, some to to the point where they obviously thought there should be a managerial change. I think it was way too early to make that call. But then as we transitioned a few days later, into um, the match in Nashville against Canada. You have your first home match, so you have that momentum from the crowd. And you start working through, you know, those jitters are out of the way. Some changes in the lineup, obviously, because Greg's trying to manage workload. But, you know, they get, uh, they looked from an energy standpoint quite a bit higher uh, than what we saw in El Salvador. And I don't know if that's attributed to Christian Pulisic was obviously out during El Salvador due to um, kind of lasting COVID effects. So he had overcome that at the point that he was playing against Canada. And I think that maybe provided some some confidence in the squad. And so we saw a little bit more energy. Uh, I, I thought we saw a little bit more pace to the overall squad. And uh, they were able to get a get a go ahead goal to put them one zero ahead, but then obviously Canada scored that equalizer, and they go on with uh, just a point out of that match. Don't get me wrong, Canada's a, a good squad. Alfonso Davies is is a exceptional player. Uh, he he nabbed the assist in that match, but again, I think it kind of left me wondering. Is this just more of the same from a U.S. men's national team standpoint? I still wasn't ready to say that, you know, it was were things falling apart completely with Greg. Again, you know, disappointed, especially the home match, hoping to, you know, get those three points to kind of make up for the, the point we were only able to snag in El Salvador. But we know that... It takes time for uh, these teams to gel. So looking ahead at the Honduras match, I think I kind of told myself that we really needed a decisive win uh, to come out of that and feel confident going into uh, the next round of qualifiers. And so then this first half against Honduras, it's tough for me to recall a time when I've been that disappointed in the quality of play from the national team. You know, I just, things weren't gelling. What I observed was I felt like Christian Pulisic really gave up possession quite a bit. Um, I think he was really trying to take a lot of players 1v1, and it was not working out for him. Um, There were probably a lot of opportunities where he should have laid off the ball. And the other thing, too, is in that type of setting, he's kind of a prime target because... You know, he's high profile with the U.S. men's national team, obviously. He's the captain. Players are going to look for those 1v1 opportunities to really put in a hard challenge against them. I think to send a bit of a statement, but also try 
to keep him humble. And the unfortunate thing of that is we know that Christian's had some challenges from an injury standpoint. And so to kind of put yourself in that position and, and leave yourself exposed to to that type of, of play, I don't know if that was the best call, especially this early in the process. So I think it, it got a little bit better for him as the match progressed. I'll talk about that a little bit, but I could just tell early on, and to be quite honest, Honduras, I thought, did a pretty, pretty good job of having a coordinated high press. They really picked out good opportunities to apply pressure, and you could see that the coordination of every individual on the field in the right place at the right time to force the U.S. to turn over the ball. I will say, however, that... I, it did feel like they were, and by they, I mean the United States, was not at all prepared uh, for that press. It looked like it was kind of something new, something that they hadn't prepared for. Um, maybe it's something that they hadn't trained for as a, as a part of their system and training. It just looked uh, really, really rough. And I think as we saw some of the you know, the lack of quality passing, the inability to possess the ball, some of the chances that Honduras got. Honestly, that first half and, and after they scored the goal, Honduras did to go ahead. I, I lost a lot of hope in that match. And I'm happy uh, happy to say that I was wrong <laughs> because we know in the second half they had that decisive win that I talked about them needing to, to regain confidence from my standpoint. And I think from the standpoint of a lot of, of national team fans, Ricardo Pepe, what a stellar performance. Um, I don't think I need to tell anybody that if you watch that match, um, you know, and I think there's been a lot of comments about the fact that, I mean, he's, he plays for FC Dallas. He's not a, he's not a, you know, European product as far as, He's, he's not playing with a club right now in Europe. And I think there's a lot of folks that see some of these American uh, players play for European teams and automatically assume that they should be at a higher level. I think it's important for us to consider that you're talking about different styles of play, playing against teams that are of a different style in different systems with teammates that... They don't play with every day and they don't train with every day. So I think it's tough to say, well, they're doing, you know, absolutely stellar in in their club or they're doing really well in their club. That'll automatically translate. It's not that simple. And honestly, I think that's what makes the game very interesting, because when it comes to the national team, you see guys that maybe perform decently with their clubs, but for whatever reason, they play at a really high level with the national team because maybe the style play or the the folks that they're playing with fit more of their playing style. So, you know, I've seen a lot of, of talk about, about that. I, I will say I thought Tim Ream, even though he only played in that first match, had a really solid performance. I, I felt like, I felt like Serginho Dest uh, did not play very well, but he was also playing out of position. I don't think we had enough time to really see uh, Gio Reyna really be effective to know 
to know whether or not he was kind of one way or the other. We also saw um, Anthony Robinson uh, had what I would consider really solid uh, second and third games. John Brooks looked okay against Canada. I don't think he looked as good against Honduras. But uh, And I also felt like in the first half, uh, Tyler Adams, the work rate was definitely there, but you could just tell it seemed like he was a little bit outside of his element. I think he's he's very familiarized with that center defensive mid role, and as a result, I mean he and, and through playing in that role in prior games, I mean that's kind of where he he fits best. And so it, he was adjusting, and it, it's tough to adjust to you know in the middle of of a match. You can train for it the days building up, but at the end of the day, I think it's just in people's nature to kind of revert back to what they're used to and the style of play they're used to. And the other thing too is training's completely different than than a match environment. So I, I thought he did a, a pretty good job of, you know, ultimately adapting, um, becoming more of of a playmaker in the second half of that Honduras match. One of the more disappointing things uh, that happened obviously was um, Weston McKinney's departure. I think there's different perspectives on that decision. With that being said, my personal opinion is Greg absolutely made the right call. You, and we've talked about this on previous episodes, a player cannot be bigger than any club uh, because as soon as that starts to happen, that sets a different precedent. It, It kind of creates challenges in managing the team and egos within the team. Is Weston a great guy? Absolutely. Uh, Does he make mistakes like everybody else? Absolutely. Um, Is he a great player? Personally, I think he's an awesome player. But when push comes to shove, if someone makes, if somebody somebody violates team protocol, especially given um, the situation that exists with COVID, I mean, Greg is completely right, in my opinion, to have a zero tolerance policy. Now, Greg said, you know, it doesn't mean he's never welcome back to the to the camp. No. Uh, so, you know, I hope we see him in upcoming World Cup qualifiers, which the next round's uh, coming up in October. But you can't have special exceptions for certain players. And it doesn't matter who the player is. I think some think that this was like a power play by Greg. Um, some people say, well, there were other people that probably were out and, and Greg likes them better. So he's not throwing them under the bus. I don't believe any of that crap. I just think that at the end of the day, Weston was in a situation he shouldn't have been in and he knew, uh, what was expected of him. And, you know, when you're young and I think he's 23 years old and you're that quality of player. Uh, you know, you're hitting a level of kind of an international star. You know, he had some pictures with El Salvador fans that recognize him. Know he plays for Juventus. There's a lot, a lot that comes with that. And I, I saw somewhere someone made the comment: if any other 23 year old were to make the mistake that he made, the impact would be next to nothing. But because the player that he is plays at an international level on the world stage, the mistakes. And bad decisions that are made are just uh, amplified a thousand times more. And I completely agree with that. You know, it's, it's 
just something that goes along with being any type of professional athlete or um, celebrity, and especially in a in a, t- a team sport. I mean, you are to be held accountable uh, to your teammates, and there's expectations. And he didn't maintain and and stick with what was expected of him. Uh, more one of the more disappointing things to me is I feel like he should have probably, and he probably did, but I think it wasn't apparent to the fans some type of apology. You know, maybe it happened, maybe I just didn't see it. But when you do something like that, uh, and you have to be removed from the squad because of that, like, don't you owe owe the fans an apology? I hope he apologized to his teammates because if he didn't, then to me that's even a that's even a worse issue. But when you have all these fans that had been waiting all this time to kind of to see you in action and they support you, and then you have to be removed from team camp for something like that, I just don't know. I, 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 it's just not excusable to me. And I know some of those issues are kept in house. I'm not saying he's got. We need to know exactly what happened. He doesn't need to tell us, you know, what transpired. But at the end of the day, I think that the fans are owed an apology. And uh, you know, maybe it happened. I just missed it. But I follow a lot of uh, U.S. Men's National Soccer Team type accounts on on Twitter. Uh, the the boys on the show keep me up to date on what's going on, and I haven't seen anything. So. So yeah, I'm actually, um, as I'm chilling, hanging out, uh, talking through some of this stuff, again, I won't keep you guys too long because hearing me talk for uh, for probably 10 minutes, let alone half an hour is probably more than enough. I'm just hanging out, um, drinking a, a local beer, just reflecting on kind of what, what's happened with the national team over the past few days. My hope is that it continues to get better. My hope is that they've hit their stride. We'll start seeing them able to gel. I don't like having turnover during World Cup qualifying. I think there's an element of having a consistent manager that helps provide some stability and also adds kind of a layer of predictability to what's expected I think Greg needs to probably work quite a bit on figuring out his tactics and not only that but I think it's easy to go into a match with an established approach um, and say this is how we're going to execute and we're not going to deviate from that we're just going to run we're going to play the game like we're going to play the game I think a lot of people just they say things like that, but at the end of the day, you got to be willing to adjust to whatever you're up against. And there comes a point where just playing the way that you're going to play and that you've planned to play the last few days isn't enough. And adjustments have to be made. People that may need to be subbed in, like we saw against Honduras. You know, there's a lot of different factors at play, and I just think that. Hopefully, Greg finds this as kind of an opportunity to to reflect. I think fans are probably still pretty split. You know, a decisive win against Honduras 4-1. Uh, 
I mean, it's great that they got a win. Don't get me wrong, but my hope would have been we would have had three wins out of those three matches, decisive wins at that. But kind of uh, just yammering on and on now. Congregate's just different, and uh, I think some of the players are adjusting to it. We've got a young squad. Things can only get better, right? Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, too, is uh, since the other guys aren't on here and so they can't tell me to shut up, uh, and there's only like six listeners, <laughs> uh, it, there there is a possibility that Cristiano Ronaldo would make his de- debut uh, this weekend against Newcastle. As most of you know, he was uh, he was yellow carded uh, during a qualifier for taking off a shirt to celebrate a goal, and so because of accumulation, he uh, is now he was suspended a match. So they they sent him back to Manchester, and so he's been able to to get back there. Um, has been training with the club a little bit and. I definitely don't think he would start uh, this weekend. I would think he'd probably be a late sub. But uh, it would be pretty cool to see that happen. Um, I think that that game is on USA. They moved it off of Peacock Plus, which is kind of nice. So that'll be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to that. I hope he brings a spark to that team because I think so far in the their, their matches have been pretty... Their first one was was pretty strong when they played Leeds. That was a pretty good match. Their game against uh, Wolves was pretty rough, and I'm I'm hoping he can uh, bring a spark to that squad to up their game. One of the interesting things, too, though, is through some of these, uh, these qualifiers is he and Bruno, they don't uh, sync up very well together on the pitch, and... So there's a lot of speculation as to whether they'll be able to link up as teammates at United. Obviously, different systems in play, uh, so and, and different dynamics on the team, like I just talked about with the U.S. national team. My hope would be is that they could, in fact, uh, find a way to to link up play and and uh, be able to to bring everything together. So, you know, a lot a lot to look forward to. As a as a United fan, and really as a U.S. Men's National Team fan, I mean it's it's early on. I think there's 14 total matches in the octagonal. Um, they were able to kind of spread it out a little bit more because of the World Cup being slated for uh, December of 2022. So uh, there's a lot of time, a lot of roster changes that could happen. Um, I'm stoked to. Uh, to probably order my Pepe jersey after that performance he, he had. Uh, I was kind of wanting to buy my next uh, U.S. national team jersey, uh, looking for a player other than Pulisic, not that I have anything against them to, to put on the shirt. So should be should be pretty fun. So, yeah, like I said, quick episode. Again, it had been a little while since we uh, posted an episode out there, and with everything that's gone on, I just wanted to touch base and kind of, give you some of my reaction from these uh, U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifiers as well as uh, Ronaldo's potential debut upcoming this weekend. I think uh, hopefully we'll have uh, one of the boys back on uh, this next week to uh, 
to talk through maybe some of their reaction to to what happened and uh, also cover some of what's uh, going on with the the different clubs that we follow around the world so again you can find us on twitter at ballistic footy and you can now reach out to us either by text or uh, voicemail at 317-762-6144 you can also send us an email at ballisticfootball at gmail.com thanks for listening and have a good one